Our scripture reading for today comes, from us, comes to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 37 through 52. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the hearing of the Gospel. Will you please stand? <clears throat> On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. When the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others said, but he can't be. Will the Messiah come from Galilee? For the scriptures clearly state, the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the living, leading priests and Pharisees demanded, why didn't you bring him in? We've never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. Have you been led astray too? The Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believe in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is, is it legal to convict a man before he's given a hearing, he asked. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. It's the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for this time of discipleship and devotion. And Lord, as we enter to this time, we ask for you to open our hearts and our minds and our ears so that we may be attentive to your word speaking to us. Turn out the distractions of our day and our lives so that we may focus entirely upon your word speaking to us. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Who do you think I am? It's a question that the disciples asked, were asked of by Jesus. Who do you think I am? Spoken to them while they were along the, the craves and the crevices of Caesarea Philippi. They had gone through times of questioning. They had seen Jesus do miracles. They had seen Jesus do healings. They had seen him teach. They had seen him be just this amazing figure. And so it was coming to this point in the caves along the streams of Caesarea Philippi for the disciples to confess who they really thought that they were following. And so... The crowd of disciples, the 12 of them, they, 
They huddled around and Peter spoke for the group as Peter often did. And he said, well, some of, you, some of us think, you know, you're, you're Elijah. And Jesus says, no, I asked, who do you think I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Messiah. You're the, you're the rock. You're the Christ, the one we've been expecting. And Jesus says, upon this foundation, upon this confession, I will build my church. Disciples there at Caesarea Philippi had to wrestle with that question of who they thought Jesus was and who they were following and what, how they would make sense of everything they were seeing Jesus do. The very same question that perhaps was echoing out in the crowds in the temple as Jesus had come in for the festival of the booths, the festival of the tabernacles, one of the required pilgrimages into Jerusalem. And they've heard him speak and they've heard him teach. And they've heard about all of his miraculous deeds and wondering. And then the crowds of people were perhaps wondering, who do you think this guy is? Who is this guy from Galilee? Who is this guy from Nazareth? What do we make of this? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Messiah? Or is he just some guy causing a big old fuss that's going to get us all in trouble? Who is this Jesus? What do we make of him? Every one of us who's, who is, are gathered here, whether we're in person or watching from home or listening on the podcast later or watching on Wednesday. Sometimes you'll never be, you'll be surprised. Some people watch on Wednesday later on in the week. So, you know, we, we, we're happy about that. But no matter how we are engaging today, we've all had to make some type of understanding of who we think Jesus is. Some of us are perhaps here because, well, that's what you do on a Sunday morning before you go to lunch. Some of us are here because maybe this, this is the only thing we want to do. Maybe some of us are here because we just don't know who this Jesus is at all, but we've thought this might be something cool to do. However we answer the question of who Jesus is invites us into two things. It invites us into a moment of faith, but it also invites us into division. The division that separates us from society in a way, but also the division that says we've made a choice about who this Jesus is. And in the time of Jesus, in the time of this passage from John 7, the, the big moments of division were coming from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were, were one of the, the denominations along with the Sadducees. This is about the easiest way of looking at it. The Pharisees were a, a tradition within Judaism of the time that believed in a strict adherence of the law. But not just a strict adherence of the scriptures, but a strict adherence of their law, their interpretation, their way of looking at the ways of the world. And violation of the scriptures often meant that you violated their oral law. But they also agreed with Jesus on matters like the resurrection. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Pharisees believed that the resurrection was possible. But the Sadducees were this group of religious elites. They were the scribes, the teachers, the scholars, the ones that were concerned about the, the worship life of the temple. 
they didn't necessarily buy into the idea of a resurrection. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees often disagreed with each other. But the one thing that they agreed on was that the crowds didn't understand the law, that they weren't good enough to figure out what the law was, and that there was no way Jesus was leading the people into anything good. The Pharisees and the Sadducees couldn't see who Jesus is, and so they're trying to rile up opposition. They're trying to rile up disagreement. They're trying to rile up frustration because they think they know better. They think they know what's right. And they look at the crowds, they look at Jesus, and they go, there ain't no way this guy from Galilee, come on now. Nothing good comes from back, those backwoods up in Galilee, come on. He ain't from, they ain't from the city. They ain't from some poor part in the world part of this. Come on. Nothing good happens from Galilee. Come on now. They look down. And they struggle to see who Jesus is. And that the primary reason of why they struggle to see who Jesus is and the primary way, reason why they struggle to accept Jesus was because they were stuck in their own understanding of how the world worked. The way things had been, the ways things were expected, but also to the ways things had been passed down to where if it didn't match that, they didn't accept it. If we were to apply that conversation to what we see of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, this aspect of just this way of looking at the world, we'd look at them today and we would call them cultural Christians. Have you ever heard that word, a cultural Christian? A cultural Christian is someone that was basically born into the faith, but they have no idea why they show up on Sunday mornings. A cultural Christian is someone that claims the faith of Jesus Christ, but has no emotional connection to Jesus at all. A cultural Christian is basically someone that was born into it. That they're here because that's the societal expectations of the world. You come and you become a part of the church. You become a part of the, of the right church in order to get a better job, to get a better power, to get elected. And to get accepted in the community. You come to church in order to rub elbows and to do business deals. Cultural Christians have yet to understand who Jesus is in their heart. They may know Jesus, they may know some scriptures, they may know some songs, but if you ask them who, does, who is Jesus in their life, they hem and haw and go, well, you know, Jesus, he saved me, but saved you from what? And saved you for what? And that question cultural Christians can't answer. They look at Christianity as something that they can obtain to and get in order to add something to themselves and lead into Cultural Christians don't move mountains. Cultural Christians don't transform the world. Cultural Christians don't change and feed 5,000 people. Cultural Christians don't improve the injustices in our world because cultural Christians act like consumers. What do I get out of this church? What is Jesus gonna do for me? What's that pastor going to do for me? I paid for this. I paid my offering. I'm going to do this, whether you like it or not. 
Cultural Christianity is the biggest threat to the church today. The biggest threat to the church. Because out of cultural Christianity comes Christian nationalism, comes all the anger, all the hatred, all of this vileness that we see in the church today, in some quarters of it. Because cultural Christianity just feels like they've got to be angry at everything. Because they feel their place in the world threatened. The biggest threat in the church is cultural Christians. People who have no acceptance for Jesus but claim the name of Jesus. It's not our divisions. It's not a potential schism coming up in 2022. That doesn't scare me at all, by the way. We're still going to be the church no matter what happens after 2022 or 23. We still got mouths to feed. We still got Jesus to proclaim no matter what happens. But the biggest threat are people who say they love Jesus but have no connection to Jesus at all. Jesus doesn't want us to be cultural Christians. Jesus doesn't want us to just say, we love me some Jesus, but have no connection to Jesus. Jesus desires for us to have a deeper faith. In the midst of this festival of the tabernacles, in the midst of, a, of the final ceremony where the priests were coming in with these giant bowls and filling them up with water as a sign of God's living presence and living provisions and living presence in their life, the abundant nature of God's love. Jesus once again says, if you never want to thirst, come to me. If you never want to experience life without God, if you never want to experience an absence away from God, if you never want to experience just this deep sense of hopelessness, if you never want to experience just that deep sense of, I don't know why I'm here, I'm just filling up a pew, then come to Christ and drink of his living water. Just as he did with the woman at the well, with the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus once again says that he is the source of abundant life. That he is once again the source of living faith, of living hope. That all who come and drink of his water, drink of his love, drink of his grace, experience hope. Experience the renewed life and experience the abundant eternal life. Not in some way down along, down by the river, far, far away existence. But experience an eternal life that is lived out now as we wait for the life to come. Of the abundant nature of God's love now as we wait for it to come. The abundant nature of God's love where we are living out by his grace and his hope and his joy. Jesus invites us to drink into his love, drink into his grace and drink into his life so that we may have a deep faith. A deep faith is the op absolute opposite of a cultural Christian faith because a deep faith finds its roots nourished and established in God. It finds its worth in God. It finds its hope in God. It finds its very identity as a child of God and a person of worth. It doesn't find its identity in what it does or what we do or how many kids or what car we have or who we're rooting for in the game or anything like this. 
It finds its roots in its life, in the very love and the very nature of Christ. A deep faith follower of Christ says, I can do nothing apart from God. A deep faith, God, faith says, it's not about me, but it's about what God is doing in me and through me for others. A deep faith says that it's not about what my church can do for me, but what I can do for my church. And not just the church as a building, but the church as a mission. A deep faith says, God, my hands are your hands. My feet are your feet. My words are your words. Move me and take me where you want. A deep faith trusts in God in all things, believes in God in all things, and has hope in God in all things. Deep faith moves mountains. A deep faith feeds the hungry. A deep faith transforms lives because it has been transformed by the love of God and seeks to share that love with others. What kind of faith do you have today? When you look at your faith, when you look at your connection to God, what kind of faith do you have? Is it a cultural faith? I'm just here because it's what we do between 1045 and a 12, and if the pastor doesn't finish by 12, I'm walking out because I need to get my Big Mac and fries. Do we have a faith that's just cultural? that we were born into, but we don't understand why we, we love it? Or do we desire a deep faith that says, God, I love you more than anything. Move in me and have your way with me so I may be a living witness to you. What kind of faith do you have? What kind of faith do we have as a church? I think the only way we can admit and have a deep faith is to admit to ourselves there are moments in our lives where we may have more of a cultural faith than we do a deep faith. That maybe some parts of our faith is just, we're just going through the motions. I recognize that in me. But I want a deep faith. I want a faith that is rooted and established in Christ. I want a faith that moves mountains. I want a faith that inspires others. I want that for us, and I want that for you. And as we come to the table, and we are reminded of God's holy love, let us all seek to have a deep faith in God that grows deeper 
every day. Will you pray with me? Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. And we give you thanks for your love. Help us to be rooted and established in your love so that in everything we do, we may give you honor and glory. Through Christ we pray. Amen.